The problems in the pig sector seem to be going from bad to worse. Is there anything that can be done to help? Will we have enough pigs in blankets at Christmas? All of the major processors have reduced the amount of pigs that they're taking in on a weekly basis. We can't turn the tap off, so the pigs have kept coming through the system and farms are effectively reaching breaking point because they have run out of roots. We'll hear from National Pig Association Chief Exec Dr Zoe Davis shortly. And the agricultural chaplaincy in Lincolnshire, however, is looking up. The chaplaincy needed to increase its presence beyond me. And so this felt the absolutely right time that we increase the number of chaplains around. The Reverend Alan Robson will update us. And I visited one of the main agricultural colleges in the area, Rice Home College, recently. We'll hear from academic lead Sharon Kirby. Plus, Sean Sparling's here with agronomy and Kit Dickinson reviews the markets. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Well, good morning. Hope you've had a good week with the grain and bean harvest all but done. How's the weather for the remaining work this week? Well, a little bit of rain midweek, but generally dry, not too bad. We'll have the week's detailed forecast at the end of the programme. Farming charity the RABI has set an ambitious target to quadruple its support to the agricultural industry within the next three years. This will be through expansion of existing partnership programmes and providing support to those no longer in farming due to ill health or age and focusing on preemptive and proactive support services to farming people. Animal rights activists have leaked the addresses of over 110,000 gun owners across the country. Authorities are investigating the data breach, which has been linked to UK firearm merchant GunTrader. And a new project has received a substantial grant to detect potato diseases and defects before they hit the supermarket shelves. Beehive Innovations Project will use volatile biomarkers and gas sensors to detect diseases and defects which affect the potato crop. The TuberSense Project received £675,000 awarded by UK Research and Innovation. Now, with weekly pig prices seeing their biggest decline in five years, the sector seems to be going from bad to worse. Now there's a threat to our Christmas pigs in blankets. Dr Zoe Davis, Chief Exec of the National Pig Association, is it all down to the labour shortage? Yeah, so the primary issue has been caused by labour shortages at the abattoirs and processing plants. And the knock-on impact of that is that all of the major processors have reduced the amount of pigs that they're taking in on a weekly basis. We can't turn the tap off, so the pigs have kept coming through the system and farms are effectively reaching breaking point because they have run out of room. They had this situation last year, so this is the second time in under a year that they've had this backlog situation. Last time it was caused by COVID issues in the plants, but now it's labour and there is no obvious support or help that is being given by government, so there's no real plan and that is what is really worrying people there's no plan in place and there's no end to this insight i mean we're we're hearing daily stories of problems with the supply chain not enough lorry drivers etc etc and now we've got this within the abattoirs what's the solution to this so have you any suggestions primarily they need labor they need access to skilled labor now government has said oh you know you should focus on employing uk nationals and that's wonderful absolutely they 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 are they've they've got apprenticeship schemes in place they're working with the department for work and pensions etc but there are a lot of people who don't actually want to work 
in abattoirs and processing plants in this country. And that is the issue, which is why they have become so reliant on Eastern European labour. Eastern Europeans are very happy to come here and work hard and earn their money. But unfortunately, a lot of them have now gone home and are unlikely to come back. They've made their money. They've gone home. And if we don't manage to do something about this backlog of processing pigs, it might seem an obvious question, but what's going to happen to the pigs? The worst possible case scenario, in my view, uh, would be having to destroy perfectly healthy pigs on farms. I am adamant that that will not happen on my watch. But unless we find another solution, unless processors accept that we need some sort of welfare scheme and accept those pigs through the plant, and they tell us that they can slaughter the pigs, they just can't further process them. We need some sort of ability to be able to take pigs into those slaughter plants as opposed to having them slaughtered on farms, which would just be devastating for pig farmers. Absolutely. And we're seeing talk of shortages and things. We don't want to talk up shortages and get into panic mode or anything like that. But, you know, we get ever closer to Christmas, don't we? And that's the issue. The retailers are expecting the processors now to be laying down the traditional products like pigs in blankets and gammons, etc. Um, and they tell us they're at least six weeks behind on that. So um, I think it's inevitable there will be impact. Obviously, what we don't want to see, though, is more products being imported from the European Union because I I really don't believe that that's what the British public voted for when they voted to leave, to effectively export more of our production into the EU. That's something we really do not want to see. So the National Pig Association is calling for urgent government intervention, yeah? Yeah, and for processors to help us find solutions. So there are two asks, really. Okay, well, best of luck, and let's hope it gets sorted out quickly, because Christmas without pigs in blankets, you just can't think of it, can you? Certainly not Christmas without British pigs in blankets, that's for sure. Absolutely. I stand corrected. Absolutely. (laughs) Zoe, thanks for joining us again. You're very welcome. Anytime. The agricultural chaplaincy in Lincolnshire seems in rather better health, providing more support through more chaplains. There are developments. Alan Robson, what's the latest? Well, LRSN has increased its capacity, But it was equally felt that the chaplaincy needed to increase its presence beyond me. And so this felt the absolutely right time that we increase the number of chaplains around. We'll work in part alongside LRSN, but other rural organizations raising the issues around mental health and social care issues and, and, and all the raft of other changes in society and community. And I think chaplains are are well-placed to aid in the wider rural economy, which is what I've always done alongside that specific work of going down farm drives, meeting farmers and farm workers uh, in difficulty or addressing some of the issues in the industry like labour shortage and when pig farmers have been in various degrees of crisis or the dairy industry. I've done all that. But equally, I've sort of done other things around linking rural with urban. Well, that's not the job of LRSN. But the chaplaincies can make different sorts of linkages for community well-being. So the idea was to increase the chaplaincy base around rural and agriculture. And you have some new colleagues now, I gather, haven't you? Yeah, Lee and Al and Sue and potentially another one uh, in autumn. But at this stage, we're just feeling our way. I've been a particular model, (laughs) 
Um, each of these people will bring their own gifts and talents and skills and interests. We will work alongside those things we need to look, work alongside LRSM with, but there'll be wider things which we think are increasing you know, in our communities, rural and urban, around depression and loneliness. So working with mental health agencies to see how we can support and raise that agenda amongst ourselves. It feels right that society has changed post-COVID, and so we need more people on the ground being catalysts, being comforters, being champions around mental health issues in the wider rural economy. So I think this is the absolutely right time that uh, Lincolnshire forms this rural and agricultural chaplaincy charity. All right, Alan. Well, more power to your elbow. Good luck, and I hope everything works out. We'll uh, look forward to learning more as the, the weeks and months go on. Lovely to talk to you again, Alan. Take care. All the best. Thank you very much. Cheers. Time for some timely agronomy advice now with Sean Sparling. Apart from some isolated, very heavy rain the other day, it's not been a bad week for us really, eh, Sean? Yes, very good morning to you, Stephen. For once, the weather forecasts were right. 29 degrees, three days on the bounce, and to dry things out so that at least some of the combining was done in dry conditions, and we brought some of it in dry. And that means that when the, and it has to be said, very localised heavy rain fell on Thursday morning, much of the straw harvest was now in the shed and pretty much complete still some beans and linseed to get but it's a big big relief i would guess for many farmers and agronomists alike out there that a lot of this year's cereals harvest has come in requiring drying this year so it's a very very good job the prices have remained where they are to help pay for the diesel bill it seems to be a fair bit of ergot out here by the way in spring wheats in particular they're much more open flowered than winter wheats and with all of the grass margins that we have now it's the grasses which harbour the ergot spores and these margins are everywhere it used to be that if you controlled the grass weeds within the growing crop itself we saw very little ergot but as i say six meter 10 meter 12 meter grass margins and more and more of them across the county and across the uk the inoculum is pretty much everywhere just waiting for the right weather and the right crop at the right time and then boom you know there it is now we've seen a big increase in a couple of issues then in the last few days firstly we're picking up a hatch of one to two millimeter sluglings or sluglets or whatever young slugs are called in all seed rate and localized damage very severe in places too it's worth remembering that the finer and firmer the seed bed you achieve for your all seed rate the fewer the issues you're likely to see with slugs where all seed rape has been put in using a subsoiler or by using a leg the nature of that particular beast is that you end up with a more open cloddier seed bed and because slugs don't burrow through the soils like worms do they need open, uneven, knotty areas and they move within the gaps that we leave them. Hence, the damage is always going to be worse and more widespread in those conditions than it is in, say, a drilled and rolled seedbed. So get your slug traps out, monitor very closely and regularly, especially the knottier and more open, less ideal areas within fields, but not exclusively in those areas. As I say, there's been a hatch of tiny slugs. After that drop of rain, if you've got it, they will happily now be moving up the profile 
well, whether it's a good seed bed or a bad seed bed. So traps, regular to monitor, regular monitoring, especially in the known issue areas, but pretty much everywhere really in these conditions. Remember, you're only now allowed to put 210 grams per hectare of metaldehyde between the 1st of August and the 31st of December. No metaldehyde at all on headlands, please. Certainly not within 10 metres of any watercourse. And best to use ferrous phosphate anyway, I think, these days. It works just as well. The pellets spread just the same distance. They last the same length of time as metaldehyde. It's just that... Um, it's only toxic to slugs and snails. It's a chronic toxin as well. So the slugs and snails tend to go away to succumb rather than dying on the field next to the, the last meal that they had, the chomped on metaldehyde pellet. So because ferrous phosphate is only harmful to the slugs and snails, it's safe for game birds and other foraging creatures, but it also doesn't cause any issues in the water companies, as is the case for metaldehyde. Now, the other thing that's appeared this week um, again, quite locally, is cabbage stem flea beetle adult activity. On Monday, there was very little in my patch. Tuesday, I was really struggling to find anything even remotely likely to cause me to want to go out and spray. But by Wednesday, absolutely just exploded, suddenly finding significant activity in cotyledon and emerging oilseed rate where every single plant in two or three fields had been absolutely peppered with shot holes, and direct feeding damage from the cabbage stem flea beetle adult. Now, locally bad because two fields being hammered for me literally sat next to a block of oilseed rape on the neighbouring farm with absolutely no sign of any adult activity to mean anything. That's why it's so important to get out of your car and walk these fields. Drive-by agronomy is never a good approach. And with Assumption being the proud parent of all cock-ups you're likely to experience, please keep your eyes open and assume absolutely nothing. Pyrethroids are definitely these days a last resort rather than the be-all and end-all that they were maybe 15 years ago. So if you do have to apply pyrethroid, it's best to put it on in that crepuscular light, the dusk or just after dusk in the early dark, not in highlight intensity or in heat. I say not in heat because if you're putting 150 litres of water on per hectare, you're putting a couple of teaspoons of water per square metre. That spray's just going to evaporate in 25, 26, 27 degree heat and you're not going to do any good at all. You have to hit the adult so if you can't find them you're not going to hurt them and with pyrethrins being so unreliable they do need to be perfectly applied to maximise the chances of them actually working and doing any good. So as I keep saying spray once if you need to, reassess if they're still there another spray will do very little more good. Don't apply pyrethroid after pyrethroid at short intervals. It's not big, it's not clever, it's a waste of money and you'll do far more harm than good. Time it right in the right conditions when you can find the beetles in dull cooling conditions. That's pretty much the best you can do apart from keeping your fingers crossed. We're trying to stop the adults physically eating the plants at this point. So as long as the plants are outgrowing the damage that's being caused to them by the adult and as long as you've got less than 25% of the leaf area being lost, then those plants are going to grow away and they will get away from that direct feeding damage. Of course, the next issue is when egg laying begins over the course of the next seven to 10 days, because as we know, cabbage stem flea beetle is the pest that just keeps on giving. And it's that larval damage which will become very apparent in March, April next year, which is by far the bigger issue. So monitor these crops closely, 
time any insecticides as well as you possibly can and do keep your fingers crossed i you know i'm not going to be putting any residual herbicides on any of my oilseed rape until at least the middle of january just in case we have to rip these crops up and put them in with something else no disease to speak of in oilseed rape for now so every cloud has a silver lining and with a few more dry days forecast the beans in the field are getting readier and readier harvest shouldn't drag on too much longer very little in the way of brooked beetle damage by the way in the spring beans that I've had cut so fingers crossed it stays that way we get a few quid bonus for brookedless beans and a few more quid in the bank from harvest 2021 so that's it then Steve let's see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever Sean students are about to start the new academic year some going to college for the first time the other day I popped along to one of the principal agricultural colleges in the area Rice Home College to find out what the new year holds for their agri students Sharon Kirby is the academic lead Sharon are we back to normal yet we are fully back to normal we are fully back to how we were if we can remember when we when we were normal you know pre pre covid so we are back we are delivering some sessions by microsoft teams just to keep the students handed in case we end up going back into to a lockdown scenario which hopefully fingers crossed we weren't but no we are fully functioning fully open and back to normal what's available for agri students at rise home we offer everything from a, a level one land-based uh, studies program through to level two diploma level three um uh, extended diploma and the rest of the diploma suites and then we can move on to a HNC and a foundation degree and the BSc honours if, if they so wish so they can take the whole journey from level one all the way through to level six if they if they so wish so we're really really excited and we've obviously got horticulture as well so we do an RHS qualifications. Are you looking to turn out farmers or agronomists or technicians or yes to all the above? Uh, yes to all the above because the great thing about our wonderful sector is the job roles out there are so varied they don't just have to go down one route they can yes they can specialize in agri- uh, in in crops and livestock but there's so many facets to those different sectors that they can go into and when you then start to incorporate food production into it that opens up a whole new ball game as well so we are all of the above and you know for for everyone that rings in that we we would like a, a someone to come and work for us we have to say no because our students have got jobs which is great you know and we would we really encourage people from the wider sector to come in and join our wonderful sector you know through through our courses to help create workers of the future in the land-based sector we're hearing on an almost daily basis sharon of labor shortages in all sectors is the job market really so easy for students are they walking out of here and into a job yeah pretty much so i would i would say well i know that none of our students are are jobless at the end of of their their time with us and you know we we could probably almost go through a program well of breeding our own students well that's not the right thing to say really but you know that, that there are there's so many jobs out there and we know that there's a shortage in certainly the in the veg and the fruit industry and we would you know we'd like to help plug that and the, the pig sector as well as the poultry sector are another two sectors that are crying out for, for work first for so i would wholly encourage anyone that likes working outdoors likes practical practical based jobs to come and come and come and take a course with us here of course the theory is important but what are you offering to help with the practical side 
So we're really fortunate in the last 18 months in, in partnership with the University of Lincoln, we've upgraded uh, the farm. So we've now got a state-of-the-art roundhouse for the for the cattle. We've reconfigured uh, and restructured the sheep shed. We've got a Centre for Agricultural Innovation up on the farm as well. And the students have access to the land that obviously that creates the backbone of, of the University of Lincoln's farming uh, provision and then we've also got the workshops here as well so uh, fully kitted out engineering workshops and then we've just opened this year the the new Institute of Technology uh, Agri-Food and Technology Centre. Yes, technology is of ever more importance, isn't it? We've, again, through the Institute of Technology, which is a government-led incentive to improve our graduate skills, it's mainly focused at HE level, really, but we've we've built a, a new workshop area that's focusing completely on precision technolo- technology. We've enhanced our GPS systems on our tractors, so all our tractors are now uh, Trimble-enabled, and our we've just in, uh, improved our seed drill and our fertilizers that they are uh, gps and isobust enabled so we're getting real live data from the field and then we've got a raft of handheld equipment as well we've also invested in some small robotics because obviously robotics is now coming into the agricultural sector so there's two robots that are are coming that we hopefully will be able to adapt and put on an, an auto steer system so they can be fully automated so students can learn around around that technology and then we have the smaller robotic technology where uh, at degree level they can build plan build and implement small robots so they can go through um, programming as well so quite a lot going on really Sharon thanks for talking to us again on the farming program good luck with the new academic year thank you Steve thank you great to see you again We'll hear from one of Rice Home's recent students on next week's farming programme. And if you'd like to know more about what's on offer at Rice Home, their website is ricehome.ac.uk and they have an open day on the 25th of September. To the markets now with his weekly review, here's Open Fields' Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Markets are weaker as we move towards this month's USDA report with the market expecting a bearish report, particularly on maize with expectations of an increased US crop and carryout. The market has derived from the inadvertent early release of data by the USDA that there will be an increase of circa 1 million acres of maize, even though the acreage appears to be below the USDA's August area. The trade is also expecting a yield increase following last month's sharp cut. Lack of fresh news and Chinese buying is also weighing on sentiment, although they are approaching their harvest, which is forecast to be a record, despite recent floods. The increased supply may, however, give the USDA the chance to address the US maize exports, which looked to be low in light of the reduced Brazilian availability. One of the analysts is cutting the production again to 81.9 million metric tonnes this week against the USDA's current estimate of 87 million metric tonnes. Hurricane Ida caused loss of power and damage to facilities, creating navigation problems on the Mississippi River and, consequently, putting the brakes on exports out of the Gulf. The market reacted negatively on the ideas that it would take weeks and, in some cases, months for a return to normal. This appears to have been an over-exaggeration with power already being restored for some or programmes switched to other facilities, so hopefully no long-term implications. Recent tension has been on global supply issues, whereas demand appears understated by the USDA, with numerous global buyers taking cover recently, even though prices are still very high. Russian exports are accelerating in front of the expected export tax increases, which is contrary to their intended purpose, whilst the EU are currently 29% ahead of last year, despite the late harvest. 
Global milling wheat is in short supply and increased EU feed wheat availability will have to find their home either within the EU or a non-EU destination. So we'll need to remain price competitive with maize. With the Northern Hemisphere wheat harvest now finally drawing to a close, farmers' attention will, will turn to new crop planting and the need of rain across most areas of the UK and Europe. So looking at barley this week, domestic values see a continued support with volumes of barley now coming forward as parcels have been sampled and the quality is known. Free on board markets have again seen interest from UK barley, which has turned and kept the domestic consumer on their toes. With the protracted harvest pretty much now finished in England for spring barley, quality results continue to hold up well, with feed values trading in a range nearby premiums have seen a small squeeze on the basis that the production is all needed on spot movements to take advantage of the MAGB terms. Oilseed rate, the market has been waiting for the USDA crop production report and has added intrigue of the acreage report that has been brought out planned for October. Overnight though, the acreage portion of the report was inadvertently released, which prompted a scramble to recall the data. China continues its steady pace of soybean purchases and following the concern that Hurricane Ida would knock out the southern US export facilities for weeks or months has subsided and repairs have been made much faster than expected. UK values remain supported on the gains in futures market along with the lack of physical seed that has been coming forward. So looking forward to prices this week, wheat for September is 170 to 172, November 179 to 182, February 182 to 185, May 185 to 188 and milling wheat premiums are currently 25 to 27 pounds. Feed barley for September 165 to 167, November 167 to 169, February 169 to 172 and May 172 to 175. Malting premiums are currently 30 to 35 pounds. And lastly, oilseed rate for September 480 to 483, November 483 to 487, February 487 to 490, and May 490 to 493. Many thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it's looking a mostly dry, mild week with light winds. Cloudy but dry for Sunday with a variable breeze and highs of 17 Celsius. A light easterly tomorrow and a couple of degrees warmer, again dry. Tuesday may see some light rain in the morning, a light and variable breeze, warmer with highs in the mid-20s. And staying dry with highs around 20, light variable winds for the rest of the week. Well, that's it for this week. The Farming Programme returns next Sunday morning at 7 on Lynx FM, podcast, online and the app, or just ask your smart speaker to play The Farming Programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Have a good week.